operations is that kind of a thing. If it's working well, nobody notices at all. But the second that it doesn't, it becomes a huge glaring problem. And my goal is to make sure that operations goes unnoticed. (laughs) You are an amazing human being. You're a coach or expert who works hard to make a positive difference for your clients. I'm Joss Willard, and my mission is to help good coaches like you make great profits so you can live an amazing life helping the people you're meant to serve. This podcast is here to help with that. We'll be bringing you the information, resources, experts, and perspectives to allow your practice to make a difference, support the life you want, and reward you fairly and well for the impact that you bring. Welcome to Profit for Coaches. Welcome to today's episode of Profit for Coaches. I'm your host, Joss Willard. And on today's episode, we're chatting with a friend of mine, Gwen Bortner. Gwen has been a business owner, consultant, speaker, and trainer for the past 35 years. Over those years, she has owned multiple consulting companies, worked as a consultant for Ernst & Young LLP, ran the IT department for a competitive phone company, and became a sought-out instructor on the National Knitting Circuit. Yes, you heard that right, the National Knitting Circuit. It is a thing. As a natural educator, regardless of the role that she's in, Gwen approaches nearly every situation as an opportunity to share knowledge and also to learn in the process. As you'll hear, Gwen describes herself as an operational strategist with a focus on improved business operations, utilizing her gears framework and leveraging her breadth of experience. Gwen works with coaches and consultants who want to build capacity to create sustainable, scalable and or sellable businesses. More importantly, she is a great human being and someone who works really hard to make a difference in other people's lives. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. We get a little bit nerdy about coaching, consulting, operations, and strategy. So buckle up. It's going to be a fun one. Real quick, before we get started, I want to make sure that the time you invest here is profitable. And the best way to do that is to make sure you grab a copy of the free ebook, The Four Must-Haves for a Profitable Coaching Practice. It's absolutely free. It's worth every penny. It outlines the four areas that every profitable coaching practice on the planet has in common. And thus, they're the four things that you must have nailed down in your coaching practice if you want it to be consistently profitable. So if you want an easy to understand, very specific tool that makes it crystal clear where to be focusing your attention in your practice and what you can safely ignore to ensure that your practice is consistently profitable and supports the life that you want to be living, go to ProfitForCoaches.com and download your copy of the four must-haves for a profitable coaching practice today. Gwen Bortner, welcome to the show. Happy to have you here. How's it going? It is going great. I am so honored to have be a guest on your show uh, as someone who's been a friend with you for, for some time now and admirer. I'm <laughs> glad to, to be a part of your world. Oh, well, thank you. It's always nice to be admired for the short period of time until people get to look behind the curtain. Um, actually, no, we've it's been a couple of years now that we've known each other, I think, off and on, maybe longer. Yeah. I mean, it's been at least 18 months because yeah. we've, we've run into each other across several different yeah. environments and places. Yeah. So speaking of different environments and places, how did you get here? Not like on the show today, but how did you get to be the amazing Gwen Bortner that you are today? I have a uh, extremely circuitous route <laughs> to, to becoming Gwen Bortner uh, today. Uh, I, I consider it actually part of my superpower is that I have done all sorts of things with all sorts of people in all, all sorts of ways. But consulting in some form or fashion has been a thread that's been very, very consistent throughout. I, I started out 
out as a computer programmer and mm -hmm. actually started working as a consultant during my sophomore year of college for an independent consulting firm. So, you know, my very first real job was a, as a consultant. And so over the time, I did lots of different types of computer consulting. Ultimately, at some point, ended up at Ernst & Young, so a big consulting firm, um, ended up doing more project management in that world. That um, led me to an introduction that allowed me to be an operations um, lead for the IT department for a competitive phone company. As you mentioned in my intro, I also have been a professional knitting instructor, so I've I've done that. But all of these different things allowed me to have um, insight into all sorts of types of businesses just across a, a huge uh, spectrum. And I've always had a natural interest in the operations aspects of business. So the accounting stuff, the personnel stuff, the um, all of the IT stuff, basically everything that um, pretty much sits as an expense line <laughs> in, in the business world, but is really, really critical for having a, a business run well. And okay. so that's my, been my natural tendency. And so it's been fun to be able to take all of those pieces of, of information um, over time and now focus on operations for small businesses because it allows me to be able to see all of the possibilities that are out there. Gotcha. So you said something that kind of knocked me for a loop there, a competitive phone company. <laughs> Yeah, so this was back in the early, late 90s and early 2000s when here in the States, the local carriers, the Bell carriers were deregulated so that you could, so this is back, you know, when cell phones were still new, right? And everybody had a landline. Yeah, you called buildings, not people. Got it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and it was being deregulated. And so we were, it was con called competitive local carrier so that you could choose somebody other than whoever you had used for your local landline, you know, for eons, you were able to, to use other services. And so we were a, a startup competitive business. So it was a, it was a, a very traditional startup. I was employee number nine. And when I left less than two years later, there was over 2000 employees. So that's fast. <laughs> it's fast. That's all growth. <laughs> oh yeah. It was serious. <laughs> So what makes somebody an operational strategist? Like you talked about all the, the expense lines and knowing about them, but what does an operation, operational strategist do? So where I, what I do is typically what people would think of as a COO role, mm -hmm. but it's what would be a COO role for a higher level company where someone's looking at all of those expense lines and saying, how do we maximize the effectiveness of those expense lines without necessarily increasing those expenses? You and I both have profit first in our, in our life and our background. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is saying, how do you maximize that um, piece that we call operations in profit first and get the most out of it without necessarily increasing the cost? cost of that um, as we go forward, particularly as companies are growing. Mm -hmm. um, anytime that they start to grow, you and I both know the first thing they often do is all the expenses start to go up. As the sales start to go up, the expenses yep. start to go up. And so as an operational strategist, part of what I try and do is come in and say, how can we do that without incurring lots more expense? Or if we do, we incur an expense that will then stay flat for mm -hmm. an extended period of time of additional growth so that we aren't just growing 
in line with the income, but instead the expenses are growing at a much flatter curve than what the income is growing. And so I come in and really strategize with the CEO, the owner, the entrepreneur, mm-hmm. whatever term they you know like to use in their, their head to call themselves of how do we do that in a way that is going to provide sustainability so that they can sustain it for a long period of time, will provide scalability, and if appropriate, also make the business saleable in the long-term vision. Gotcha. For the business. So I'm not the doer, but <laughs> I'm the helper of the planning. And, and I will also help them figure out who are the doers, who do we need to hire going through all of those processes. Gotcha. And it's interesting. I was talking to somebody the other day and as I'm talking, I realized they didn't know what a COO was. Like I watched, mm. the, like they were nodding along. Right. right? But they had that the, blank look in yeah, their eyes. <laughs> it's like, and, and it's like, okay, how do I bring this around so that I can not make them feel like a fool because they're not a fool because they don't know. It's just, it's. And if you haven't been in a corporation, you may not have come across the, the, the concept of a COO. So first COO stands for chief operating officer. And what it really is, is it's the person who likes the tactics and the activities as opposed to the CEO who normally likes the vision and the dreaming Mm -hmm. of the business. And so that's, that's the first way that I like to divide it up to say CEOs tend to like the dreaming and the vision and the CEOs tend to like the tactics um, and the implementation mm. um, of things. And so that would be my, my first thought. And they're generally, CEOs generally responsible for all of the tactics and the implementation mm-hmm. where the CEO is generally about the vision, um, yep. culture, big picture stuff. Yeah. In, in the military, particularly the army, we would refer to that as the officer's job is to determine the objectives. It's the NCOs, non-commissioned officers, sergeants, et cetera, job to figure out how to accomplish the objective. Yep. And so kind of the same thing there, I think. Yep, um, very much. And, and I, the thing that I find interesting and, and why it sort of clicked is there are so many entrepreneurs and small business owners who have basically given themselves titles, right? They've never been in, they've never been in corporate, right? But somebody told them early on, well, you don't want to put shop owner on your business card. You want to put founder or CEO or president or like, and, and people don't, because so many people have just thrown a name on a business card or on their LinkedIn profile or whatever the case is, I, there's, there's so many, it's, it's really tough to tell what actually do these roles mean. And corporate doesn't help with that because title in lieu of promotion, absolutely happy to do that, right? Or in, in lieu of pay <laughs> Right, yeah. We can, we can add... We can add um, uh, syllables to your to your title rather than giving you an extra hundred thousand dollars. No worries at all. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so it's it's division of labor matters, um, and I think it matters. I think the title of what you call somebody in the small business tends to matter less until you start getting to that growth phase and people are looking to buy and and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so with you, like we all. As coaches and, and consultants, we all work with different groups and, and sizes of, of businesses and whatnot. As an operational strategist, who do you usually work with? I am generally working with folks who I would typically classify as the solopreneur. They may have a few people working for them, but they are primarily responsible for creating the business and delivering the business. Um, and they have gotten to the point that they are 
um, book solid mm-hmm. using our, our book yourself solid terminology um, where they're getting overwhelmed because they want to be able to do more, but they're, they just don't have capacity because of all the things that they're trying to do. Um, and typically just because numbers are an easy way to measure things, they're typically landing somewhere in that um, early six figures area. So hundred to $500,000 income typically. Okay. That's not an absolute, but that, that's a, a good guideline sort of thing. And they're ready to figure out either how to make it more sustainable because they're getting overwhelmed um, and or really how to start scaling it. And gotcha. being able to think about how do I bring on the right people back to, I'm typically generating expenses for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really what my job is. But how do we take that and, and make it, you know, maximize that to its greatest benefit so that every dollar is really um, a worthwhile investment from mm-hmm. an expense line standpoint? Is it safe to say that your ideal client is probably more the visionary type who's a little weak on the operations and tactics side and needs help putting that in place? Or is it someone who feels like they're strong on the operations and tactics side but or the and or the delivery side, but they're just so overwhelmed that they don't have the time to do it? Like or it it can be either, but generally they're more visionary and they like doing the delivery. They're good at the del- at the delivery. Okay. Um, but they realize that them doing the delivery creates some amount of a you know, a capacity limit because it's going to, um, because I, like you typically work with coaches and consultants. And so, um, what we're for the most part selling is our brain, right? Uh, I, someone recently used the term, you rent my brain. And it was like, yeah, that's a great, that's a great term, rent my brain, but we can only do so much of that. I mean, there's obviously all sorts of other models out there of where you can, um, expand it, but part of, what I like to bring to the table is I don't believe in the silver bullet. I don't believe that there is a um, right answer. I believe that there are lots of right answers. And the trick is to figure out with you and what you like and your model and you know all of the elements go in it, what is the best answer, the best right answer <laughs> for you. And that there can be multiple right answers. And sometimes we try one, it's like, well, we thought that was going to work, but yeah, that's not really the one we want. Let's try something else. So it's finding the best right answer for them. For them. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, well, this is turned into the, <laughs> if you're looking to work with someone, Gwen's a good person. So, um, <laughs> but uh, so I, I like when you said you, you don't believe in the silver bullet. And I was like, oh, hold on. That's an entire industry that is now crumbling to the ground if, <laughs> if we get rid of that belief. Um, but I know you don't believe in the silver bullet no, either. No, I don't either. That's right. I mean, why, I, I think that's one of the places along. you and I are very much, you <laughs> yeah, know, absolutely. of the same mind. Absolutely. So you don't call yourself a coach, you call yourself an operational strategist. What would you say the difference is? I would say that I do coaching-like behaviors and I do consulting-like behaviors. Mm -hmm. So there's a blend. So there's a blend. I, like you, also am not a big fan of the whole coach, I'm going to pull it out of you, you already know the answer thing. You you and I have had that conversation elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely am of that mind. I do believe that if you're 
paying me to get help from me that I should be able to give you answers. Um, so that more of a consultant mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to have advice. I'm going to have opinions. I'm going to, yep. going to have all of this. So operational strategist for me is much more of those two blended, but also where I focus. Mm-hmm. I'm going to focus much more on your operations than I am on say your marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about marketing because everything gets interrelated, yeah. but if you really need serious marketing help, I'm going to put you to somebody else. That's not, that's not where my strength lands. Mm-hmm. But also the strategy piece, because a lot of times when people start talking about operations, they really are looking for the project manager, for the operations assistant who's actually going to do all of the things. And that's not my strength. Right. I'm really the person who can take that visionary piece, the person who's thinking really big picture. And in the process of being big picture saying, okay, if we're going to do that, here's all of the step pieces that we're going to need to be thinking about and implementing and and making happen. And so I feel like I'm that bridge between that visionary into the practical, this is how we're actually going to make that thing happen. Gotcha. So as an operations person and a strategical person, all the different operational systems that are out there, your black belts, your well, Six Sigma is black belt, like all of the different stuff, you know, you have people who, who are looking to be coaches or are looking to run businesses and they're like, well, I need to be ISO certified, or I need to be Six Sigma, or I need to be like, is that just a whole bunch of crap? Or is there like, what's, what's in that world? I don't think there, it's a whole lot of crap, but I do think that sometimes it's oversold. And I think it de- back to lots of right answers. I think it right. really depends on what your goals are um, and who you're trying to serve. And does that particular thing provide you and your business value? Um, And so for me, it's much more about um, grabbing, understanding pieces of all as many tools as I as I can reasonably know about and saying, this piece of this tool makes really good sense here. This piece of this tool makes really good sense here. Fundamentally, when you really look down at almost all of them, they're all kind of the same, right? I mean, you and I have both been through enough programs to know that fundamentally, most of the stuff is the same when it comes, you know, when you take it down to a very core <laughs> kind of basis. But, um, you know, how do you apply it? When do you apply it? Um, all, of, all of those pieces. Um, I also find that for a lot of the programs like you're talking about, they're really designed for a higher level of business. And so one of the things that I'm also trying to help people with is to say, yeah, you don't need to worry about that yet because you're just not big enough to need that at this point. Um, Most of the things that I come across generally are working better for um, probably in the $1 to $2 million range. And generally when you've got 10 to 20 employees is kind of minimum before you really can start leveraging them in the way that they're designed. Right. So, you know, if, if it's you and your part-time VA, you probably don't need to be scheduling level 10 meetings. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. But you probably do need to have some check-in meetings mm-hmm. and, and putting a little structure around those and, and making sure that those are happening, you know, makes sense. And even though that seems obvious to a lot of people, other people, it's like, oh, well, I just do it all via email. It's like, yeah, you probably actually need to have a conversation every once in a while. Maybe not every day, maybe not even every week, but probably at least once a month. <laughs> oh, and it's it's interesting to me. So here we get into the generational warfare. Um, <laughs> like I just, like I literally before like 10 minutes before coming in here, I had a, had a conversation with my son who has, 
he's gotten his first job and he got his first paycheck and he did what many a youth who get their first paycheck does immediately overdraws his checking account um, through mismanagement of not knowing where funds come from. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going to need to call the bank and let them know what has happened and see if there's anything you can do so that you're not getting charged $5 a day for your overdraft or whatever. Because it, I mean- Oh, it's crazy, right? It yeah. adds up. It's Yeah, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. Well, and fundamentally his responsibility, but also not entirely his fault. Um, he bought a thing, tried to refund it um, through a different pay system and PayPal oh, was involved yeah. and- Oh, refunds yeah. get held, held anyway so all this kind of fun stuff right so i'm like you're gonna have to call the bank and uh he's like okay and i checked in with him just before coming here. i'm like so have you called have you talked to the bank he's like no i'm gonna send him an email first and i'm like no you need to talk to a human because if you send an email you'll get a form response you might it's like whereas it'll it take, take 24 hours to get yep. to get yep. to somebody so right? by the time by the time you get a response and all this kind of stuff you're already gonna have had your next paycheck deposited and wiped out by this overdraft and whatever so you know, like Let's have the, you need to talk to somebody, speak to them as a human. It's a small, it's actually a credit union. So like there's that possibility to be, to have people connection. Yeah. Right. So, real, real humans to real humans. Right. Yeah. But, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to do it. And he's like, I'm nervous. I'm like, well, listen, you love being on stage. You're an improv actor, just like I was when I was your age. If you let being nervous stop you, you would never have gotten on stage. And he's like, that's right. All right, cool. Go make a phone call. Right. But it's, it's, there's so many people and some of it's, some of them are Gen Xers. Like I still have some trepidation sometimes when I, when it comes to making, I'm just like, man, do I, but I'm an introvert. Right. So I'm like, do I have the energy? Do I really want to make that phone call or, or do I want to schedule it for tomorrow or something? Right. But there's typically under the age of say 40, 45 right now, they would much rather send a text message or an email than have an actual or, or Slack, right? Mm-hmm. Than have an actual yep. conversation. That's, I think, why um, programs like Slack and, and that have kind of exploded in the workplace or did in the last 10 years because you have this entire generation of workforce that doesn't want to talk to humans. They, they'd and they've much gotten rather, very comfortable yep. communicating electronically yep. and realize that they can get a lot done. Mm-hmm. And in that capacity. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, there's great efficiency in that right up until <laughs> we run into the fact that text is the best way ever to misinterpret <laughs> what somebody means. Absolutely. Because <laughs> there's zero tone. There's zero nonverbal. Like you don't get it like 80% of how we, what is it? 80% of how we communicate is nonverbal, something like that. And text doesn't get any of that. Right. right? Yep. And, and so- Again, don't get me wrong and, and don't send me hate mail, millennials. I'm an exennial, so like I'm partially part of you. But um, there are advantages. There are times you need to you need to have, yes, there are many meetings that could have been an email, but there are also many emails that should be meetings. Right. And, and back to real relationship can't happen without some sort of eye contact. Yeah. Definitely. You know, and if you're if it's someone that you're working with and you're going to you're planning on working with for any extended amount of time, you really want to build that rapport and that relationship and that trust to to know when you've got to count on them for something that you weren't necessarily planning on counting them counting on them for mm-hmm. that they will probably interpret that text that really, you know, last minute text really really accurately and quickly and, yep. and know what, know what it means. Yes. Cause they've heard you speak and they know when you use a certain phrase, like when you read a phrase that you've heard somebody say repeatedly, you hear the intonation that they usually use. Absolutely. You know, okay. They mean this, right? Um, so what I think you're saying 
to sort of <laughs> sum this up, is that as a as an operations strategy person where efficiency is important, relationship is also an important part of operations. It is. It is. Um, one of the ways I, I've spent most of my career in IT and my husband is, is still in IT. And one of the things I say about all of the stuff that falls really into operations, you know, IT and human resources and accounting and all of those things mm-hmm. is it's kind of like the weeds in your garden. If you don't have any weeds in your garden, nobody notices. But as soon as you have weeds and there's a problem, then everybody notices. Yeah. And that's operations is that kind of a thing. If it's working well, nobody notices at all. But the second that it doesn't, it becomes a huge glaring problem. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to make sure that operations goes unnoticed. <laughs> Going back to the military analogies, as as they say, it's it's if everything goes right, it's considered a walk in the park and it's easy and, and nobody knows. If people start handing out medals, it's because someone screwed up. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, but that's exactly right. <laughs> the, pretty much the only time you need heroic efforts that earn yep. usually po- posthumous awards is when something screwed up. Right? Yep. Makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, what you, you, the logistics are the unsung heroes, as it were. And I say this having been in the infantry and jumped out of airplanes, but also worked on the logistics side. So I've been been both both sides. So Jocko Willink, back off. Um <laughs> I don't know Jocko, uh, but I'm pretty sure based on what I've heard from him and of him, he would say, no, no, the, the logistics people are, are the people that keep the, the shooters from getting <laughs> shot. So, so what would you say being, being that you don't, you, you engage in coach-like behaviors, um, <laughs> what would you say is the one primary skill set that a coach or consultant or strategist needs to have to have a profitable running practice? The ability to listen clearly. What? <laughs> I do adore you. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So the ability to listen clearly. So speaking clearly, communicating clearly, understand that. Listen clearly. Those two words together are not usually a thing. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that really is that you're listening, you're hearing, but the clearly pieces like you were talking about being able to get that nonverbal communication, the thing that they're not saying, mm. the um, the thing that they want to say, the thing that they're trying to say, but can't quite put words to the thing that scares them, all of those things. To me, that's really what being a good coach and consultant is about, is about hearing clearly all the stuff, even the stuff that's not being said. Um, and then, you know, the other piece in this part just comes way more naturally to me is, and then call it out. Yep. You know, be be perfectly clear about, yep, you're avoiding this. I know you're avoiding this. Let's talk about why you're avoiding it. Yep. Um, there's a phrase I can't remember. I haven't used it much myself, but I know a coach who uses it all the time. Uh, when they'll sit down with someone, they'll start off with, okay, what's uh, what's at the bottom of your list of things to talk about today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because most people think, all right, what's at the top of your list? What's the big thing that's on your mind that you want to talk about? Yeah, no, I love that. I need to talk about. Okay, I will probably steal that. There you go. Yeah, what do you not? What do you want me to not know? (laughs) Yeah, what is it that you don't want to talk about today, or that you want to avoid today? And I think actually that was probably. I know somebody who uses that phrase or a similar phrase, but I also know it's mentioned in um, the book "How to Get the Most Out of Coaching." Um, One of the authors, Karen, um, was on the show a few weeks Mm -hmm. ago. Um, Mm -hmm. It's one of the only books I've run into that is actually written for the client, but I cover that on that episode. Um, (laughs) But when you're talking with clients, 
So you, you, as you said, you work a lot with coach coaches and other consultants to help them get their business to where they want. Cause they, most of us struggle. We get to the point, okay, I'm, I'm getting that eight to $10,000 a month now. Now what? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm, I feel like I'm being run off my feet doing that because I'm, right. I'm, I'm putting in a 60, 80 hour week. I'm doing all, yeah. all of those things. Right. Yep. Yeah. What's the first thing you think, like when somebody comes to you in that situation, more often than not, without falling into the, oh, you're one of those kind of, <laughs> but more often, more often than not, what is the biggest need? So almost always, and it's why they come to me, is their need is somewhere in the operations world. Um, because that usually means their their marketing is fine. A lot of times they've been trying to fix their marketing, but their marketing is not broken because nope. they're actually getting clients. Um, but that's the thing that they've been focused on up to that point is marketing. We're going to market, mm-hmm. we're going to market and sell, we're going to market and sell, we're going to market and sell. And it's like, yeah, that's actually not broken. That's working. <laughs> so let's not try and try and fix that right now. Um, so it's usually somewhere in the operations. And I develop my own tool I call the gears assessment, mm-hmm. which is an assessment tool that I use to figure out what is broken and what is the most broken. Because um, sometimes there's two or three things that are all just a little bit broken. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they need a, to take, get rid of a person or get a new person in. Sometimes they need to look at how they're managing their finances. Maybe they need to do some of their own mindset work and their leadership. You know, Maybe their product um, uh, business offering, the way that it's being offered needs to be tweaked something. All, it could be a little bit of all of those things, or sometimes it's very clearly one of those things. And so I, I leverage the gears assessment as a, as a tool. It's also, you know, my own opt-in as well, because I think it's the place that people can see where the stuff that they don't think about or haven't spent a lot of time allows them to focus. It's a very, very high level. It is not an in the weeds you know, kind of assessment Mm -hmm. at all. It's a much more high level broad view assessment, but it gives you a place to be able to start. Um, And like I said, because I'm not a big believer in silver bullet, that helps me start a guideline of like, okay, so let's, let's spend some time focusing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly enough, even though systems is part of the gears assessment, it's almost never systems per se. It's usually something else. And with that, we need to build the systems underneath it to create the consistency. Gotcha. As part okay. of it. Cool. Yeah. Then it's, it's interesting because the vast majority of guru world, um, <laughs> And even like the vast majority of business coaches that I have met, marketing and sales is that's their focus. That's it, right? Get the market. Yep. Um, like you'll hit the gurus will say it's your offer. You need to get your offer right, and to a certain extent, they're right. Um, that that is a thing. It does need to <laughs> does need to not be broken. But so much of the focus out there on what's a business coach or what is it? What is a business coach going to do for me? Or, or what is one of these gurus going to do for me? Is we're going to focus on marketing and sales. We're going to talk about, do you have your right client? Are you talking to the right client? Do you have a good offer? Are you putting it out in enough? And, and usually the response is, all right, well, it's time to up the Facebook, spend, you know, the, the ad spend. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, hold on. Uh, what about the foundation of the company itself and how we deliver? Because most people are operating at 60 to 70% capacity. And if we just crank up the marketing and add another 30%, now you're just operating at 90 to 100% capacity and you're hating life. As opposed yeah. to what if we could fix the systems part or fix the the underlying structure that includes systems and all the other pop stuff so that when we flip the switch on the marketing that's already working, we're not just suddenly at 120% capacity and cursing the person who got us here. Um, instead, we're like, oh yeah, I'm now working 
I've got three times as much money coming through the business. I'm working half as much and my life is good. Yeah. And, and that's really what it's about. I, I actually have a, you know, a story of uh, uh, someone that I know who needed operations help asked for me way too late in the process. And I, and I was pretty sure it was way too late. We put lots of disclaimers uh-huh. in place. Um, and in this case, they were a, a manufacturing company. So it wasn't a coaching consultant. So there, mm. there was actually you know physical product, but I kept wanting them to focus on operational stuff. And the answer kept being, but we need to do better marketing. We need to do better marketing. <laughs> they hired someone who was really good at marketing uh-huh. and it bankrupted their business. Yep. Yeah, that'll happen. If it's the old, we lose a dollar with every sale, but we'll make it up in volume. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't quite that bad, but it was close. Yep. It, you know, it was totally close. And, and um, they, they were able to increase their sales dr- drastically, but they weren't able to fulfill what they, they mm-hmm. needed to fulfill. And in the end, it really did. It just bankrupted their business. I mean, and they, and in this case, unfortunately, they lost everything. They lost yep. a, you know, family house that had been in the family for multiple generations. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was a big deal, Um, but it could have been fixed if they would have focused on operations before they turned up the heat on the marketing. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing. So there, most of the operations people that I have met are operations people. They're like, they're very much, they're ordered, they're structured. That's, that's their brain. And there are a number of coaching franchises out there that appeal very much to those types of folks. And their approach is, we have our 12 modules. We start with module one. We work through module two to module three to module... If the fire in your business is in module seven, you don't have time to wait and work through one through six to get there. Exactly. Exactly. I like the fact that you have... And I have a, a, a different... but thing that does a similar, serves a similar function, but I like that you have your gears process that kind of goes, all right, let's go up in the air, look down at the business and go, where's the fire or multiple fire? Like, where do we see smoke? Then we can go down and, and we're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. We're going to fix this and and determine the order based on what's on fire. Yeah. Uh, One time, uh, someone who is starting to work with me asked, so what's your process? And I said, well, so my process is I kind of don't have a process. Um, I I am not going to tell you exactly what we're going to do next because we're going to determine that together. I I am Mm -hmm. not going to tell you the first thing we're going to do is X and the next, you know, we have a few processes that we will go through, but those are to determine what are we actually going to focus on and what what are we going to do? Yeah. Well, it's, that's, my answer to that oftentimes is, is the equivalent of, you know, would you go into the doctor feeling sick and expect that you, you sit down in the room, the doctor walks and says, oh, hey, good to see you, Gwen. Here's your prescription. Yeah, exactly. Or good to see you. First, I'm going to go ahead and send you to the cardiac specialist and we're going to schedule an open heart surgery to get your problem taken care of. And you're like, I'm in here because my toe is swollen. <laughs> Can like... Um, yeah. can we talk about this first for a second? If you're going to a specialist, yeah, absolutely. You're going to want to know, okay, <laughs> anyway, you know, Mr. Or Ms. Or whatever heart surgeon, um, I'm here because I've had the chest pains. I went to the ER having a heart attack, whatever. I've had other people look at me and diagnose that this is what we need. 
you have then looked at my x-rays, my scans, my test results, et cetera, et cetera. So now I would like to know what is our pro- we, we have a diagnosis already. What's our process for fixing yep, what's it? What's our process? Yep. Right. That makes perfect sense. But when you're com- like, when you're just like, I don't feel good or I'm not, I can't walk, <laughs> like my, my legs aren't working. Like, uh, like if my, my business isn't generating profit or I have no time, those are the equivalents of, I have a headache. I can't breathe. Like there are different levels of, of urgency, right. And, and going to urgent Absolutely. care, like, but, but at the same time, you're still, even if you go to the emergency room, they're not just going to go like very rarely. Like if you go in with like a pipe sticking out of you, you know, <laughs> right. If or it's something obvious, like yeah, then, then they might go, okay, well, let's go ahead and schedule the surgery and have this taken out. But most of the time, they're not just going to immediately start working on you without asking some questions. And even if you, I mean, to be honest, even if you have a pipe sticking out of you, they're going to ask you questions like, what happened? Excuse me, how, how did, did that, that get ha- into you? Yeah. Yeah. Right? How long has it, how, <laughs> when did this happen? How, yep. how many minutes or hours has it been? Yep. And they're going to take x-rays to see like, did this thing cut holes through bone? Is it between, like what, like, they're going to get the lay of the land before they just start pulling out the scalpel and cutting. And that's what we have to do in our job, I think. And, and to me, that's the difference between, you know, where I use the phrase sil- silver bullet and not mm-hmm. is, is I'm making no assumptions about what your, what your problem is mm-hmm. coming in. Um, occasionally I'll have conversations with it's like, so operations isn't actually a problem. Your problem is in fact, marketing. Let me, yeah, let me recommend, <laughs> let me go send you to some, you know, somebody that I think can, can help you in that area. Mm-hmm. This has been fun. It's probably for the folks that aren't nerds like us, this, this might've been a bit more of a boring or at least esoteric episode. Um, but I've enjoyed the conversation to this point. What's next? What's going, what's coming up in the future here? What are you excited about right now? Well, so one of the things that I started doing with my clients, uh, the middle of last year is doing quarterly planning, um, as a group session. Cause I do typically work with my clients one-on-one, but I said, let's do quarterly planning together. And after going through a couple quarters with my clients, it's what I'm now going to be offering to individuals as well, because some folks aren't ready for one-on-one, um, consulting. They're not ready for the investment or the time or, you know, whatever, which I totally get. But many of us avoid quarterly planning because doing it by ourselves kind of sucks, (laughs) quite honestly. Um, But most everybody knows they need to do it. And Mm. so um, the quarterly planning that I do is actually two half-day sessions and one, the first session is focused specifically on review because I'm a big believer in you shouldn't be trying to look at the future until you've figured out what you can learn from the past. I'm not a big, like, we're going to live in the past kind of gal at all, but let's see what we can learn from it and go through an analysis part. And then the second half day, which they're just adjacent, um, is on the planning piece. But like I said, the power and what I got from my feedback from my clients is they really liked the ability to have um, opportunity because I put lots of places in where there's some group discussion and small group interaction mm-hmm. and they get to talk with one another, many of whom have are dealing with businesses and industries that have nothing to do with one another. Yep. Um, and so they're getting, you know, a, a 
hugely varied kind of perspective on things. And, and sometimes people are just asking questions because they're, they're curious, but that helps us all think differently, right? When yeah. you're in a conversation with somebody who doesn't really know anything about what you do. Um, and then at other times we try to put them in groups like, okay, these people are mostly the same and, <laughs> and having, you know, having mostly the same is probably a good, a good place to have the conversation. Um, so I'm excited that I'm now going to open it up this year as a standalone offering in and of itself. So my clients will still be coming too. So that's a, you know, uh, an opportunity for people to meet other people as well, which I also think is something as, you know, small business people we often miss is having interaction with other folks. Yes, we do tend to cave troll, as I call it. And, just, <laughs> and, it, and that's part of like, it's hard to, to like when I talk to people like, oh yeah, I'm doing my quarterly planning. Okay, great. <clears throat> how are you doing that? Like, what is it that you, how do you know what it is that you don't know? How do you know what it is that needs to change? Well, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to make plans. Okay, great. And some of us know, okay, I have tools. I've done quarterly planning with other people. I, I know which one I'm going to pull out, which bits of which work great. But I think for so many people, and especially that part about, looking back first and kind of going, okay, how did we get here? Not so that you can go, oh, I screwed up and I'm terrible and I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Right. But just to sort of go, okay, what did, what went right? What went less right than we would have liked? What went catastrophically sideways? Um, how will that affect future planning? It can be very dangerous to, to do that looking back by yourself. When people are doing that quarterly planning themselves, and if they go back and they, they, they look back at, all right, here's what went wrong. It's very easy to fall into, A, you could go all, you could go way off into that sense of despair. And I don't know what I'm doing. And the market sucks and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, which but is it, horrible. Yeah. But it's also like, even if you don't go that far, just getting into the whole, I messed this up. I don't know. Realizing that you don't have that answer. You're like, I made the best decision I knew how to make. And it was clearly the wrong one. I don't have a better decision. I don't, I don't know how to make a better decision. Um, having a group where someone can just ask you, Hey, listen, I, I know nothing about your business or your industry. Can you explain to me why that was like, why would that was a bad decision or why you made the decision when you made it or, or like what's going like, just tell me how your industry is supposed to work. Having that opportunity to go, well, yeah, here's the basics. Like, and just that light can come on or people will ask the, the dumb question. Do you have to do it that way? Like, or whatever the case may be, and it just gives you that opportunity to go, Oh, what if I tried it another way? So I like the idea of that, of you doing that group session and having in particular the interaction. Cause a lot of people, when they do group quarterly planning sessions, it's just, or again, I'm going to, I'm going to fit 30 people into a room, charge them all $2,000 to be here for the day. And it's just going to be me talking and them doing their, their private work. And they might get to interact at lunchtime. Yeah, no, we, we, we put those, those pieces in and the other thing that comes with it is as part of their planning is we follow up with a quarter's worth of accountability as well. Um, and that's included in it because I think that's a really key element for success is to be accountable for the things that you said you were going to do. Mm-hmm. One of my clients who has, you know, she has done her quarterly planning religiously, um, you know, and she says, yeah, I'm not going to really need that. She says, but I'll join. And when she finishes, like, this was so much better than doing it by myself, <laughs> even though she has been really good consistently about doing mm-hmm. her own quarterly planning. But she said, man, the interaction, being able to interact with others and, and, and working through the process as a, as a group, you know, she said, cool. just made it so much better. That's awesome. So it being December, I assume that you've got one coming up for Q1 of 2022. 
Yeah, the, they are all scheduled for the first Wednesday and Thursday of the quarter. So this will be in um, January. And I'm going to double check the dates really quick so I don't tell the wrong one. It is the 5th and 6th okay. of January is, right. is the Wednesday, Thursday that we're, we're offering it. All right. And so if somebody is interested and wants to find out more about it, where can they go to find that out? Um, I'm sure you'll put a copy of it down in the show notes as well, we'll but, the, but the website is everydayeffectiveness, all is one word, okay. .com and slash QTU. We call it the quarterly tune-up. So say that one more time and we will everyday, put it in the show notes. Okay. Everydayeffectiveness.com slash QTU. Excellent. All right. So if you are listening to the show and you want to get a, a quarterly tune-up and have that opportunity to mix and mingle with Gwen and all of the lovely people that, that like working with her, go check out that URL. Um, take a gander at it. I think that would be fun. I'm, I might actually take a look at that one. Um, I think I might have a course that I'm doing on that day, but anyway, we'll see what we can do. And then other than that, where, where can people find you? Um, they can find me. Um, I've got two websites. One is GwenBortner.com, which is the one people can easily remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and also EverydayEffectiveness.com is where okay. I really focus on my coaching and consulting business. Excellent. And we'll put the links for those in the show notes as well. But Gwen, it has been an awesome conversation. I've enjoyed having you here. Oh, it's been so fun. <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's always like fun. you said, we probably went a little nerdy deep, but it was kind <laughs> of fun. <laughs> Geeking out on, on making businesses better is, is always a danger when you're someone like us. <laughs> too true. Too true. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for being here. That's it for this episode of Profit for Coaches. I've been your host, Joss Willard. To make sure you never miss a new episode, go to ProfitforCoaches.com to subscribe now. You'll also find all the show notes, resources, guides, links, freebies, and other goodies that we mentioned on the show. Plus, we've got some special bonuses there just for our subscribers. So to make sure you profit fully from this and each new episode of Profit for Coaches, go to ProfitforCoaches.com now.